be back, and um, I've only just recently returned from Israel. Has anyone been to Israel here? No one? one? Oh, a couple of people. You, if you ever get the chance to go to Israel, you should definitely take the opportunity. The great time over there, and um, I went with my dad, who was here tonight. It was very special, traveling with my dad um, over through to Israel. We went right up to this, the, the top part of the north of um, Sea of Galilee, and right down to Tel Beersheba, right on the edge of the Negev Desert, um, traveled 1300k in our little Hertz rental. And, um, you know, there's, Americans love Israel. There's just tour buses for, for Africa in Israel, lined up in, every, in all the car parks, and then bus, 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 and then my dad and I, a little rental car, and then further, more buses. I think we were the only people who were daring enough to go around there in a rental car. Um, through Israel, um, but yeah, great time, and if you ever get the opportunity, and by the way, there is a segue into this, because we're looking, uh, Dad and I are looking at leading um, a pilgrimage to Israel next year, Dad runs a, a travel company, so if you get the opportunity to have a chat with me afterwards, more than happy to have a chat with you. Um, what's interesting about, Mr. Salman, do you mind just turning my sound down just a little bit, because that'll be fantastic, I've got a little bit of um, echo up here, that would be, that'd be brilliant, thank you. Um, What's interesting is that when Constantine was on the, uh, was, was, was the um, emperor of Rome in about 300 AD, his mum decided, uh, Helena, decided to go to Jerusalem because she wanted to find the tomb of Christ. She wanted to find the place they call Golgotha, the place of the crucifixion. And in about 335 AD, Helena turned up in Jerusalem and with a few others, they were looking around and they believed they located the site. So, Helena goes back to tell her son, Constantine, back here in Jerusalem, I think I've found the tomb of Christ. I think I've found the spot as well where the crucifixion took place. And so what do they do? They built this famous church, the Church of the Holy Specular, which they believe is really marks the spot where the tomb of Christ was um, or is and um, the site of the crucifixion. There are some um, Protestant pilgrims who believe actually the tomb is just outside the old city of Jerusalem. The old city of Jerusalem is a walled city. It's one kilometer squared walled city. There's a Jerusalem quarter, Muslim quarter, Christian quarter, and Armenian quarter, an amazing place. And if you, you can go up on these ramparts along the walls and look over, and outside the Damascus gate, Jerusalem has seven gates uh, still, um, outside the Damascus gate, you can see the garden tomb. And some people believe that's the, that's the site um, of the tomb of Christ set in kind of a more like garden, garden-like surrounding. But here is the point. Regardless of the location of the tomb, the great thing is it's empty. And that's what we're celebrating today. And there might be um, a lot of differences of opinion as to the exact location, but the beautiful thing is we're here to talk about the fact that it was empty. What was interesting about Resurrection Sunday, I know Pastor Steve talked about the the resurrection story from the Gospel of Luke this morning. Today, I'm going to actually start um, with the Gospel of of John, because it tells the story... um, in quite a remarkable, remarkable way. So John chapter 20, if you're following on, um, verse 19. Because tonight what I wanna talk about is living in the reality of the resurrection. Living in the reality of the resurrection. In particular, I wanna talk about how do we face our fears in light of the resurrection? Because actually, on the first day of the week, on resurrection on that day that Christ rose from the dead, the disciples were actually afraid. They were confused, wondering just what had happened. And if you get a chance to have a look at Netflix, you can see the the series called AD. 
and I've been watching it recently, and they make, um, it's, it's quite an interesting series that kind of retells the story. And there is a lot of confusion, even on that first day. Christ has risen, but the disciples are wondering, actually, to themselves, perhaps the, perhaps the Romans or perhaps the Jewish authorities had perhaps stolen his body. And of course, the Romans and the Jewish authorities are wondering, perhaps it's the disciples that have stolen Jesus' body. There's a lot of confusion and a lot of fear. So I want to talk tonight about how do we face our fears in light of the resurrection. Let's pick it up. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Three things I want to talk about firstly in relation to fear, the nature of fear. First point is this, fear is built on a part truth. Fear is actually built on a part truth. If I was a disciple that day, just imagine, sorry, it's the evening. The doors are locked and you're freaked out. Why? Because you think the Jewish authorities are coming after you. If they could persuade, if the Jewish authorities could persuade the Roman Empire to put Christ on the cross, who's, who's next? Jesus' body has gone. They didn't put two and two together straight away. My reading of the Gospels is the disciples were fearful and confused, wondering what had happened. They didn't know exactly what had happened right there and then. Looking back, they can see the resurrection story unfolding. But they had every every reason to be fearful of the Jewish authorities. I would have been afraid. I would have had the doors locked. Afraid. Jesus was missing. Stories would soon be circulating that the disciples had stolen the body. And who was next? They had good reason to fear Jewish authorities. And that's the problem with fear. Fear is part truth and part lie. Fear is built on part truth and part lie. I bought a a book a few months ago. It's It's a famous book. It's called Meditations. And it's actually the journal of Marcus Aurelius, who was a Roman emperor many years back. And Marcus Aurelius, um, it's obviously been translated into English, but um, the story goes that when his wife went to bed at night, he would stay up and would journal. And um, these journals were kind of found and discovered and translated into English. It's an interesting read. And, um, And he talks about how do you overcome fear in your life? And he says that um, in his journal, he talks about that the way to confront fear is to simply change your perception of that fear. It's about changing the way you think about the fear that you're confronting. And over the years, there's actually been a, a very kind of sophisticated theory that has been developed by psychologists called neuro-linguistic programming. And if you ever hear a guy like Anthony Robbins or one of these great motivational speakers um, stand in front of a packed audience, they will use this theory of neuro-linguistic program, NLP, they'll use it to to kind of basically change your mind while you're listening to them, essentially. You come in there feeling depressed, you come into the audience feeling overweight or struggling with some particular issue. And in that moment, Anthony Robbins, who they call a master in NLP, will change the way you think about that fear. He'll change the way you think about that obstacle using what they call NLP. There's another book out there called Of The Obstacle Is The Way by... um, Ryan Holiday, and he says that the goal to overcoming any fear in your life is to simply change your perception. What is perception, Holiday says? It's how we see and understand 
what occurs around us and what we decide those events will mean. If we are emotional, subjective, and short-sighted, we only add to our troubles. To prevent becoming overwhelmed by the world around us, we must, as the ancients practiced, learn how to limit our passions and their control over our lives. It takes skill and discipline to bat away the pests of bad perceptions, to separate reliable signals from deceptive ones, to filter prejudice, expectation, and fear, but it's worth it for what, it's, what is left is the truth. See, what the disciples faced that evening, that first evening, that first day of the resurrection, was based on their perception that the Jewish authorities were after them and the doors were locked. Now, what Marcus Aurelius and Holiday say that all they had to do was change their perception, but I want to actually suggest that they were only partly right, that the goal to overcoming fear in our lives is not simply just to change our thinking based on altering our perception, but by remembering the reality of the resurrection, remembering the reality of the resurrection. The resurrection is not just a historical event. Oh, well, we've done and dusted. Easter is just a date on the calendar. Every day we're living in light of the resurrection. Every day we're living in light of this resurrection. It's not about changing our perception, but remembering the reality of the resurrection. Because here is the logical point. Because Christ rose from the dead, he defeated our greatest fear, which is the fear of death, And because he defeated our greatest fear, he can help you conquer any fear that you face. Because surely the fear of death is the worst fear that we actually face. The one thing that human beings cannot conquer in terms of fear is the fear of death. And sometimes we're only really confronted sometimes with that fear of death. Maybe we go to someone's funeral and kind of our mortality kind of comes to light and we think a lot more about it. But if Christ rose from the dead and he overcame death, then he can help us with any fear that we might be struggling with here in the 21st century. Whatever fear that we're struggling with, all those other fears that we we struggle with pale into insignificance in light of Christ overcoming our greatest fear, the fear of death. When I was traveling through Israel, we were, you know, going down Route 90. It's um, a dangerous highway, and, and the wilderness is all around. It's actually just the, the parch, a parched desert, very parched desert. And we're traveling towards the Negev Desert to Tel Beersheba. And as I was looking out at the desert, I was saying to my dad, you know, if I was the Israelites, I would have been complaining a lot to God because it is barren. It is parched. It is dry. There is nothing happening. And if I was the Israelites, I would have wanted to go back to Egypt as well. I, I just understood it afresh, this idea of the wilderness. It's not like the Waitakere Ranges, right? It is not like that. It is desert. And then when we arrived in Jericho, the oldest city in the world, I was thinking about the fear that the Israelites must have thought about. I mean, they come to this walled city and God just tells them to wander around, you know, six or seven times and don't worry, the walls will come down. But they were so afraid. Out of all the books in the Bible, the one book, which is the book of Joshua, it says, over and over again, God says to Joshua, fear not. Over and over again, he says, fear not. And you know what? If I was the Israelites, I would have been afraid. If I was a nomadic group of people traveling with Joshua through this dry and barren land and then having to take on these other groups of people who are stronger, who are much more powerful, who are much more skilled at warfare than we were, then I would be afraid. But you know what the Bible says? It doesn't say Feel not, it says fear not. God's not afraid of your feelings. Fear only becomes a problem when it 
actually stops us from moving forward. Fear not is not the same as, feel not is not the same as fear not. And it's, and you know, it's important to realize tonight that it's not wrong to feel fear. That's natural. I would have felt afraid if I was the Israelites traveling through the wilderness, having to take on the Jesuites, the Amalekites, the Amorites, all these tribes. I would have been afraid. And God says, fear not. I want you to press forward and move forward. I understand your feelings, but they're not going to stop you from moving forward. Our response, and so the first point I want to make tonight is fear is built on a part truth and a part lie. Those feelings are real, but sometimes they're based on only a part truth and a part lie. Our response, second point is our response to fear is often completely irrational. I love this. The doors were locked. Do you think that was going to actually stop the Jewish authorities? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, getting to them. What we'll go do, guys, is we'll lock the doors. Um, I mean, I don't think that would have stopped them, right? I'm sure they could have found a way to get to the disciples, but that's our response to fear. We lock the doors, right? Yeah. It's completely irrational. It's not going to stop anyone from getting to them. If the Jewish authorities wanted to get to Jesus, they could get to Jesus. And if they wanted to get to the disciples, they could. Right. I was thinking about fear in my own life, and the analogy I was thinking about was, so often when it comes to fear in my life, I'm like a movie director. In my mind, I create a movie, and I have characters, and I have a plot, and I have a script, and I make it up all in my mind, and I've got this preview going. I've got this preview of these fears. Does anyone have previews going on in their their minds? These previews going, but that's the thing about fear. Fear is a preview that never gets, (laughs) that never gets, um, that never gets produced into a movie. Fear is a preview that never gets produced into a movie. It's helpful to remember that. We make up all these things in our minds and our our response is so irrational. The doors were locked. In fact, the Jewish authorities never actually came after the disciples. It never happened. Once they started preaching the gospel, they came after them. And most of them were martyred. But on that day, the Jewish authorities didn't come after them. Thirdly, our response to fear is often based on our misbelief that God is not with us that he's actually left us to carry the burden of fear alone. Here's the thing we forget, and I think it really is is brought kind of home in John's gospel and actually in the AD Netflix series, that the disciples were afraid. No one, there actually, there is an argument to suggest that they were probably thinking that someone else had stolen the body. Please, Mary Magdalene said, before she recognized it was Jesus, she said to the man behind her, please, someone's taken the body. Can someone please return the body? We want the body to come back. They had no idea that the resurrection had taken place. God had left them, perhaps. Perhaps that's how they felt. And not only that, they now had to face the Jewish authorities. They had to face the Roman authorities who were wondering, where is the body gone? Tom Wright, who was a New Testament theologian, points out this really beautiful kind of part in John's gospel. And if you look at um, John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, early on the first day of the week. And then in John chapter 20, verse 19, he emphasizes it again. On the evening of that first day of the week. Tom Wright is trying to kind of has emphasized the fact that John in particular, out of all the gospel writers, is, to, is telling us that because of the resurrection, new creation has begun. Because of the resurrection, new creation has begun. We are living in a new reality because of the resurrection. John chapter 20 is like a reverse image 
of Genesis 1-1, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God spoke, and creation came into being. And then the Spirit of God was there on resurrection day, hovering over the tomb, and his son came to life. The same Spirit was there, and creation was there, rising Christ from the dead. And then Paul in Ephesians says, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is living in you and I. That same spirit right there in Genesis and creation and the new creation at resurrection and in our lives as Christians today. That same spirit. Everywhere we go, the God spirit is there, present with us. And we're now living in the light of this new resurrection. And because of this, my favorite Bible verse comes home. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There can only be a new creation because of the resurrection. A new person. I'm a new person. You can become a new person only because of the resurrection. And so we're not facing our fears alone. The risen Christ is with us. And this is interesting, right? Because if you go back to John chapter 20, they were there, cowering in fear. The doors were locked. And then Jesus comes and stands among them and says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The resurrection is not, the hope of the Christian faith, sorry, is not a resurrection where our disembodied souls will one day travel up to heaven. The hope of the Christian faith is a bodily resurrection that we will rise again. And Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians, we'll be given new bodies. But what Jesus was trying to say that actually the bodily resurrection is really important, that the hope of the Christian faith is that we will rise again. New bodies will be given to us. That's what Paul says. But that's so important. We're not facing our fears alone. The risen Christ is with us. The resurrection is not a figment of their imagination. The real Jesus was there, present. Hey, guys, touch my hands, touch my side. I'm a real person. And what's interesting is people might say, but wait a minute, the doors were locked. The curious lawyer mind in me says, but the doors were locked. How can it be a bodily resurrection? Was it really like a human? Because, you know, people argue that's just a ghost, right? It's a figment of their imagination. But actually, when you think about it, Paul was right because he never said that would be given the same bodies. He said would be given new bodies. And Christ was inhabiting this new body, this new body on that day of the resurrection. So, a couple of thoughts about the nature of fear. So on that day of the resurrection, that first evening, what is the response of Jesus to their fears? Two responses. One, I love this, in verse 20, as I said, the first thing he does, he comes and stands amongst them, and he says, peace be with you. In the midst of whatever fear you're facing, or whatever anxiety you're facing, Jesus speaks peace. Peace be with you. We all have fears in our lives that sometimes cause us to lock the doors and not live our lives to the full potential. But if you forget everything else I'm gonna say tonight, or I am saying tonight, remember this one thing. Because of the resurrection, you can unlock the doors in your life. You don't have to live life with the doors locked anymore because of the resurrection. We can live in the reality of the resurrection. Jesus, if you conquer death, you can help me conquer any other fear that I might face. Because of the resurrection, I'm not gonna live life with the doors locked anymore. Because here is the beautiful thing. He actually goes on, and this is, this is Jesus to a T. Peace be with you. Think, oh, great. Thank you, Jesus, for your peace. That's great. And then he turns around, and he says, now I am sending you. 
as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And I'm thinking, if I was one of the disciples, Jesus, do you know the doors are locked? Jesus, do you understand that I'm, what I'm feeling right now? And you're telling me that you're now sending me. I'm not even prepared to leave the house, let alone go and preach the gospel around the world. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. But that's the great thing about Jesus. He's like this coach, this coach who understands where you're at right now. He understands your best, but he says, you can do better. He wants to lift our sights, and he's got great expectations, and he doesn't let us do it alone. He's with us to lift our sights and lift our expectations. We don't have to live life with the doors unlocked. Guys, I'm gonna unlock the doors and I'm gonna send you out into the world. He understands our limitations. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And there's a beautiful story actually in the Bible in Judges about Gideon. Gideon was a man with a lot of insecurities and a lot of fears. And I can relate to, to Gideon. And one day he's just living life and then God tells him, hey, I'm gonna lead, I want you to lead the Israelites and defeat the Midianites. And of course, Gideon has a whole bunch of excuses, primarily built on fear, primarily built on insecurity. And then there's this moment in Judges chapter six where Gideon has a revelation of the fact that the Lord is peace. And he actually builds an altar, and he builds an altar to the Lord is peace. There's this beautiful moment. And then, after he builds this altar, he sits down and does nothing. No, God says, now that you know the Lord is peace, I'm sending you to go and defeat the Midianites. You see, God's peace in our lives is not a comfortable chair for us to sit back in. It is the platform for mission. It's the catalyst for change. He gives us our peace, and from that place of peace in our lives, he launches us out to be all that he wants us to be out there in the world. That is the great thing. The Lord is peace, and from that place, he launches us out. God's peace is a platform for mission, for moving forward in your life. I'll be the first person to say tonight that, you know, I've struggled with all sorts of fears over my life, and tonight, it's not really a sermon which is, you know, 10 hot tips to how to overcome fear. Because here's what I know, there was a disciple who was there that night, and if I could just get the, the band up, there was a disciple who was there that night, Simon Peter, and we know that he was there with the disciples, we know that Thomas wasn't present, he came along later. But Simon Peter was there, and the doors were locked, and he was struggling with fear. And he heard Jesus say, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And even though the doors are locked right now, Simon Peter, that's not the end. Because this is what happens, and we know this from the Jewish calendar, about 50, late, 50 days later, about seven weeks later, on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, with people from every language and tribe and tongue, they were all standing around, thousands of people, and Simon Peter, who only seven weeks before, when the doors were locked, was standing in front of all of them and preaching to them. And he said, fellow Israelites, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through whom, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. They put him to death by nailing him to the cross and then it clicks for Simon Peter. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
the same Simon Peter who was with the disciples and the doors were locked, seven weeks later, was up in front, standing in front of the people in Jerusalem, preaching to people from every nation and sharing the good news of the resurrection. And I don't know what changed except one thing, and this is my theory, which I want you to remember tonight, is that maybe he was living in the reality of the resurrection. Something happened where he came to realize that if Christ can conquer his greatest fear, the fear of death, he can help me conquer any other fear that I might face. And so my encouragement to you tonight is that I haven't conquered all the fears in my life, but I'm praying that God will help me to live every day in resurrection reality to live every day in resurrection reality. The same Christ who conquered the fear of death can help you and me conquer my fears. He is with you. Let's pray. Thank you that you are risen. You are the risen Christ. And we just praise you tonight, God, that you have indeed risen, that death could not hold you down, the grave could not stop you, Lord. And even though the disciples are struggling with fear, maybe that first resurrection evening and wondering like, where to from here? You came and you are there present and you said peace. And I pray, Lord, for me, and I pray for all of my friends here tonight that you would speak peace into our lives. Lord, whatever fears or anxieties we're struggling with, Lord, I thank you that you are with us as we work through those. But I know, God, that you want us to unlock the doors and to move forward and help us to do that, Lord. I pray we wouldn't be held back by our fears, but we would go out into the world and be all that you call us to be. Father, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.